Welcome to All About HR. I'm your host, Tom Horn, and I'm on a journey to learn about all things HR. I'm documenting my conversations with thought leaders, HR professionals, and real employees about everything from recruiting, workplace of the future, benefits, you name it. We're all about HR. Let's go. All right, let's get started. Our guest today is Megan Yunkin, one of my colleagues at People Element. Megan Yunkin is a senior experience manager with over 15 years experience at People Element analyzing employee feedback. She's ProSize certified change management practitioner, which allows her to support her clients through the people side of organizational change. We've got Megan with us today. Megan, welcome to All About HR. Hi, thanks. Thanks for having me. You and I have done a couple different projects and one of the things that I like most is you're just a phenomenal person. One of the things I like second no. most is you and I are complete and total opposites in almost every category. So I'm hoping this will be a pretty fun conversation and uh, I'm definitely looking forward to learning all about HR from you today. Awesome. I'm excited. So we'll, we'll kick it off. You, I saw in your bio, it's a perfect question. Uh, everyone that's on the show will get this, but before we dive in, uh, what are you listening to right now? Favorite band, podcast, audiobooks? What's in your ears? I've been listening to a lot of podcasts lately. Um, nothing to do with HR. I've been listening to and loving um, Smartless. Uh, it is hilarious, and I learn something every time from the guests that they have on there. So if you haven't checked that one out, check that one out. And then a little closer to HR-related, um, I suppose, uh, well, I've been loving the HR Social Hour Half Hour with John and Wendy, um, and I'm also really enjoying listening to the Leveraging Thought Leadership podcast with Peter Winnick and Bill Sherman, both fantastic podcasts with great um, guests on every time, and I learn all the things from those podcasts. Excellent. Um, so with the topic today, we're really going to dig in and, and I want to learn all about building an intentional strategy for employee feedback. Uh, Meg, is that something you can uh, you can talk on with us today? Yeah, a little bit. Um, I've, I've been able to work with many, many, many clients over the years, and I've learned some things that work really well. I've learned some things that, that work really not well. Um, and yeah, I've one of the biggest things that I've learned is that if you are intentional about the strategy that you create, you're setting yourself up so, so well up front. Um, and, you know, what I mean by intentional is, can I do this in a way that I'm able to ask the right questions of the right people, listen and understand that feedback and then act on the feedback that I'm getting, act on those results so that I'm getting something from that and I'm building on the feedback and actually making the positive change that I want to make in there. So um, I think that's, that's sort of what we, what I want to get across as far as making sure it's intentional, right. that kind of survey strategy. Right. I, I get that a lot when I'm talking to people that are approaching starting a strategy. They know they need to. And they're like, I'm doing it. I've got an intention, but there's not a lot of thought past that. Or there is thought past that. They just don't even know where the pitfalls are and where, where to be careful. So I think you listed off a lot of really great uh, nuggets in there just to get us kicked off with collecting employee feedback isn't a simple process of just throwing out some questions and looking at the data. Uh, there is a lot of intention that needs to go into that. 
Yeah, uh, you you can you can do that, but it's so much better if you are planning it out. And um, one of the things that I like to be for our clients is sort of that third party accountability for your process because I'm sure when you talk to a lot of people they might have a lot of ideas about what they want to do or what they want to accomplish or what answers they want to questions that they have and I can sort of serve as that accountability to say okay we're going to put together this strategy we're going to answer these questions and if you want me to every now and again I'll step in and ask you if we're on track right and you keep talking about the clients and 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 I've talked about the clients, and this is one of the big areas of learning for me is what is HR's role in collecting employee feedback? Because I talk to OD, I talk to people in recruitment, they're like, this landed on my plate. I don't know anything about this. I know companies that have entire departments in HR dedicated to this. Um, but at a high level, where do you see HR's role in collecting employee feedback? And we will get more granular, I'm asking some more detailed questions, but at a high level, what is HR's role from, from what you see uh, in collecting feedback? Yeah, a lot of times uh, we are working directly with someone in HR when it comes to putting together the right types of questions and gathering the employee contact information so that we can invite people to provide their feedback. So oftentimes it is someone in HR who is sort of setting up the process and which is great because um, HR people are really kind of on top of it and making sure that things happen in the organization. The one thing that I love to see is when it's not expected to be only HR, when other parts of the organization are really invested in the process, when you have people at the executive level that are who are willing to sponsor this at the highest level, you know, people, managers, directors who are willing to support the process and get people excited about providing their feedback. So while HR um, folks are usually the ones who I'm working closest with, I love it best when I'm able to see people across the entire organization getting in on um, and collecting employee feedback. That's great. Um, yeah, the, the more the merrier in this topic, right? There's often too many cooks yes. in the kitchen, but when it comes to collecting employee feedback, it seems like the more people that are engaged in this process, the better. Is that is that an accurate? Uh, absolutely. The more people involved, the more buy-in you're going to get, the more you're going to have people excited to take action on the feedback that you get and invested in the process of learning from your people. So what are the, what are some of the best practices that you've seen? There's a lot of, a lot of people that could be involved. What are some of the best practices that mm -hmm. some of the listeners might be able to take away and that I can take away? Yeah. One of the best practices that I've learned from, um, from learning all about being a change management practitioner uh, through my ProSci certification is the power and the importance of an executive sponsor. I mentioned that briefly before, but having someone at a high level of the organization who um, it's not a huge time commitment that you're asking for from this person, but you're asking for someone who is going to communicate out to the organization that this initiative, this 
process is championed at the highest level. Sometimes people need to hear from executive leadership that, yes, this is something that's important. This is something that we are supporting. This is something that we, it's okay that we're taking time to, um, you know, to discuss with our teams the importance of collecting feedback or to take the time to give feedback. So having someone at the executive level who is sponsoring, specifically sponsoring the process of collecting feedback and just having, you know, some communication come from them. They don't have to write it themselves. You can write it for them, but having it pushed out from the top um, is a really, really strong way to get buy-in across the organization. And then um, I hope I'm not jumping ahead, but another great best practice as far as acting on that employee feedback across the organization. I love it when I see companies, organizations build a cross-functional interdepartmental committee um, to make recommendations on change. Great. So uh, I, I, when you gather... Uh, let me just jump in. So it's not just HR? Yeah. It, so you have an executive sponsor. <laughs> so you have a committee, but like, is HR's job to form this committee? Are they just a part of the committee? Um, like, I'm just trying to like dial and connect dots here. It sounds like a lot of people involved, but... Uh, and I like everything you're saying. I just want to make sure I'm understanding what's HR's yeah. role in the committee connecting with the executive sponsor. Talk a little bit more about that. Um, it can it can be HR's role to help uh, create or provide the communication of the content for the executive sponsor. Um, just you know, letting them know what their role is in the process, asking them to sponsor the process. Um, giving them maybe some communication pieces. Um, HR also, I believe, should always be at the table when the data is discussed. They have the best perspective on um, the people side of this feedback and what it's going to mean for the organization if we're going to be making changes. So they should absolutely be there in the room when when the discussions are happening about what does this information mean and what are our next steps. So, you know, in this evolving world of HR, you know, HR coming up with administrative, HR now is leadership, tip of the spear, really mm -hmm. strategically positioning people operations. How often are you seeing that they yeah. are leading these committees and these initiatives, even when bringing in outside departments, executives? Um, is that just kind of sometimes depends on the organization or do you see HR stepping up more often now to, to lead these type of committees? I do see HR leading these committees um, fairly often, but not from the perspective of, you know, hey, everyone, this is something that we have to do. This is something that HR is, you know, making everyone do, but more from a perspective of we want every, we want as many perspectives as possible. And we are gathering people together to give recommendations. Um, so once that committee gets together, it's not about who has the highest title or who's been around the longest. It's about how many different ideas and perspectives can we get so that we have the best recommendations on how to make improvements based on what people are looking for and wanting. This has been great. We're gonna take a little break and then we'll get right back to the conversation. 
All right, this is the HR Hot Sauce Rapid Fire Questions for Megan. Megan, are you ready? I'm ready. All right, keep it short, sweet, have fun. Let's go. What is the best job you have ever had? Between high school and college, I had a job where I was given a list of gas meters that needed to be repainted and cleaned up, and I was given a company truck and a paint can and a paintbrush and told to go paint gas meters. What's the one phrase at work that drives you nuts? Um, it is what it is. It is what it is. <laughs> on we go. Do you like working on rainy or sunny days? I love a rainy day for working. How can somebody make your day at work, Megan? I love learning new things about people. And so just hearing hearing stories about where people are from, where they came from, what they've done before I met them. Uh, it just makes me happy to learn more things about the people that I work with. I love it. <laughs> and I'm even more excited about this next question because I know you a little bit. What is your best useless skill? <laughs> uh, my best useless skill is that I can recite all of the U.S. presidents in order. Uh, I learned it when I was in fifth grade, and at that point it went all the way to the first George Bush. Um, so I've added to it since then, but I, for some reason, uh, have held that in my brain since fifth grade. Three, two, one, go. <laughs> you want to hear it? Yeah, right. let's hear it. Washington, Adams, Jefferson, Madison, Monroe, John Quincy, Adams, Jackson, Van Buren, Harrison, Tyler, Polk, Taylor, Fillmore, Pierce, Buchanan, Lincoln, Downson, Grant, Hayes, Garfield, Arthur, Cleveland, Harrison, Cleveland, McKinley, Roosevelt, Taft, Wilson, Harding, Coolidge, Hoover, Roosevelt, Truman, Eisenhower, Kennedy, Johnson, Nixon, Ford, Carter, Reagan, Bush, Clinton, Bush, Obama, Trump, Biden. Incredible. Excellent. I want to know what song you're singing when your head is It's so useless. All right, my favorite question. <laughs> Not useless. You entertained all of us. My favorite question, medium, hot, or nuclear? Um, mild. Favorite interview question to ask or be asked? I really like to ask people if they could go back and tell their early professional self something that they know now. What would you go back and tell yourself from when you first started working? I love it. That's <laughs> awesome. All right, that's it. That's the HR Hot cool. Sauce. Thank you, Megan. Thank you. We're back. That was the HR Hot Sauce. Let's get back to the conversation. Yeah, that's fantastic. Um, I want to move on to another piece of this intentional uh, collecting of employee feedback, which is best practices of building a survey. So I've taken a million surveys, people have collected my employee feedback for, for years. And actually, unfortunately, I've gone through almost a decade of my career before this where nobody collected my employee feedback, which is part of why I'm so passionate about this topic. Um, but I always thought, no, surveys are easy. It's some questions, like easy to do. But I was on a call with uh, one of your colleagues, Quinton, and he was building out um, a survey for one of our clients and it was incredible the subtleties and it there's a lot more to creating the actual questions you ask and and how you uh, approach that so um, i want to dig into a little bit of that so quickly what are some of the do's and don'ts of building your survey oh my gosh you want to take in mind the length of the survey um radar fatigue is 
real. And I mean, I've taken surveys before and I'm sure you have as well, where you get two thirds of the way through and you start thinking, oh, when is this going to be over? I think I might just stop now. I'm over it. I'm done. So we want to be really, again, intentional with the number of questions that we're asking. Um, we also want to be um, intentional about the type of scale or scales that we're using. Um, because if you are asking, I don't know, let's say you're only asking 10 questions, but if all 10 of those questions are on completely different scales, all of them, it's going to take you twice as long as if you had 40 questions with one scale, because it just interrupts the flow of how you are responding to things. It makes it really, um, it makes it a struggle to remember how am I answering this question versus the other one. So keeping your answer scales really consistent is important. And then one of the things that we often have to push back on is um, making sure that each question is only asking one thing. Um, you know, there is, there's a lot of times where people will want to ask something along the lines, I'm just making this up off the top of my head, but something along the lines of, you know, my supervisor is um, kind and trustworthy and they give me good feedback. That's three different questions that you're asking right there. So we want to make sure that if you're asking a question, somebody knows exactly what they're answering so making sure that you have no double or triple barreled questions in there those are just those are just a couple of things that we often discuss i might need <laughs> you to help because i am trying to dethrone myself as the king of seven questions in one question and i've probably already done it on the show you'll probably hear me eventually do that but that's something really good you just mentioned that's a big trigger like Ask the one question. I heard that in that, that conversation I, I noted earlier. Um, so what do you think, you, you mentioned scales. What do you think, what's the go-to scale? You know, is it net promoter, zero to 10, zero to five, yes or no, like matrix? Like, like what do you think is probably the best base scale to go off of? Uh, Megan's opinion, the best quantitative scale is a one to five Likert scale. Um, it gives you a little bit of wiggle room for some of those responses that you feel less black and white about. There's some gray um, in some responses. So one to five allows you to account for some of that gray area, but not so much that um, that it gets overwhelming. You know, a one to 10 scale can be great for some things, but if I'm always given a one to 10 scale, well, what really is the difference between a six and a seven? And I'll spend way too much time overthinking, is this a six or is it a seven? Or I right. wish I had a six and a half. It just, so I like a one to five Liker scale. So what are some of the other type of questions? Like when would you ask yes or no? Like, are they valuable at all? Just getting a Thumbs up, thumbs down. I love asking people whether or not they receive regular check-ins from their supervisors. And that's a yes or a no. Um, that's not a, well, sort of, or I kind of think so. That's a yes or a no. And when you have a black and white yes or no on something like that, then when you look at your feedback, you can see, okay, only 62% of people said that, yes, they had a check-in. We're striving for 100%, so we've got some work to do, and we can see that very clearly. So that'll directly connect to a data set, right? Like the yes or no, you get that strong oh, yeah. X percentage. Oh, yeah. That's great. I never thought of it that way. Yeah, definitely. And then you can break that down by whatever you need to, by department or by job title or by tenure groups. Yeah. 
uh, open-ended qualitative questions. I get a lot of, you shouldn't yeah. ask them, or it's too hard to ask them, or it's just a bunch of emotional. What What's your approach for those qualitative, open-ended type questions? I love them. You know, you can ask quantitative questions all day long, but sometimes you see that feedback and you want to know, well, what does that look like in practice? Like, let's say, for example, you get a lot of feedback about the fact that people don't feel like they can, they have opportunities to grow and develop. Well, what does that look like for people or what do they want when they say they want more growth and development? If you have open-ended questions um, where people are giving feedback in their own words, you can look to that and find out here's what people mean when they say they want more opportunities for development because they're telling us in their own words. It's, you know, it's, it can be, it can be a little bit hard to distill um, information from qualitative feedback because we all have our own inherent bias when we're reading feedback. You know, if somebody's really passionate about the responses that they're giving, those tend to stick out more to us and they tend to, they tend to kind of overwhelm some of the other comments. So it's it's more difficult to interpret qualitative feedback, but I love it as a way to provide additional context and color to the quantitative data that we have. Honestly, Megan, this has been great. And I and I know you and I work together and I work in employee engagement, but these are genuine questions I've been wanting to ask. Um, and I've got a million more. So I really appreciate you coming in. Uh, answering these questions for me, even within our own business, um, because I know what I know. But uh, again, the goal of learning all about HR is to, to learn more and learn know all about what you know. So, Megan, we've talked, we, we've tiptoed around HR and leadership. We've, it's been through this conversation. And just to state, HR is a leadership role, should hold leadership positions. Um, but where can companies do better in terms of people leadership? One of the things that comes up it really consistently from employee feedback as far as things that can boost employee engagement is people feeling like they are valued, people feeling like their leadership values them, people feeling like their company values them. So I think one of the really sort of low-hanging fruit opportunities um, for for HR leadership and company leadership is to look at how you communicate that you value your people or or how you're not communicating it that where you should, you know, looking at your company website and your social media and seeing what that has to say about not only the importance of your customers, clients, but also of your own people, um, you know, looking at are you supporting your supervisors, your managers, directors in uh, having the right tools to support and value their people? Um, are you encouraging all of your leadership team to communicate their appreciation and recognition for people, especially in the last 18 months that we've had? It's been a rough go for a lot of people. And just to simply hear that all of the extra work that they've been doing is is recognized and appreciated can really go a long way for people. That's fantastic. Absolutely love it. It's a, it's funny in the last couple of years, I've been getting a lot of pings from my friends that have known me throughout my career. They're like, Tom, you're all about HR now. Like what's, what, what's going on? Like, is this some new thing? And I've always been in leadership positions and to me, everything I've done in my leadership positions is everything we talk about in HR. Um, and I have HR folks going, well, what did you do in HR? Uh, so the conversation goes both ways. And me approaching it from, 
I've always been a fan of HR. I have had to create HR systems. I've had to run HR, but I consider myself kind of the leadership spectrum and the HR side's like, well, what do you know about HR? And the leadership people are like, well, you know, what do you know about HR? What do you know about leadership? And it really all comes together in the middle. And that's why I said it a couple of minutes ago that HR and leadership are and should be the same thing because we're all leading and we're all supporting the people within the organizations. And I love some of those best practices uh, you just gave about showing that appreciation, how leadership and HR can come together to make sure they're supporting their employees. There's one final thing I want to talk about. You and I were just having an organic discussion uh, before we started recording and you brought up, you know, the, the right to disconnect uh, that topic. It sounds like there might even be some legislation coming down. We've talked slightly about that. I guess uh, we, we were with uh, were we with John and Wendy or not the HR lady? I don't know. We were on one of those discussions. And uh, you and I had totally different approaches. So I just wanted to introduce the idea, see if any of the listeners out there have any opinions. And if anybody wants or knows, because Megan and I don't know about this topic, we just are interested in it and have opinions about it. But if anyone out there knows, I'd love to have a deeper conversation with you. But uh, Megan, tell me what you've seen coming down the pipes uh, regarding right to disconnect. Yeah. Um, I started looking into this because um, several of our clients over the last year and a half have had people struggling with disconnecting from work when it's not work time. And I wanted to help provide some recommendations and some next steps for action. And what I saw was that um, in other countries, this is more of a thing and it's starting to come over to the U.S. where people are really, um, people are really behind the idea that there needs to be legislation in place to protect people's rights to not be at work when they're not at work and that and the difficulty I think of that is going to be that what does that look like for organizations because you know for our organization we have incredible amounts of flexibility you know if I need to take a couple hours off in the middle of the day I can work later or I can start earlier or I can I can work whenever I want as well as long as I'm getting things done but I also have the right to not have to be tethered to my email and my phone 24 hours a day I have the right to wait until I'm actually working to respond to things and so does everyone else I'm really want to dig in and want to learn more about what this is going to mean as far as legislation goes in the next couple of years and also how companies are going to adjust to the fact that people are requiring requiring the the right to not be working 24 hours a day seven days a week and and showing how much that's causing burnout right now and something has to be done so i'm i'm real curious to know what that's going to look like and if legislation is going to be passed in the states like it is in other countries already so you personally what does your right to work look like what do you want it to look like for you as an employee well i like i said i really appreciate the flexibility that our organization provides what i want that to look like is um if i'm working at Let's take yesterday for an example, actually. I took two hours off of work yesterday to drive down south of town to look at some kitchen cabinet materials. Because of that, I had some things I had to get done later. So after the kids were to bed and everything else was taken care of, I came back to my desk and worked from 
you know, 9.30 to 11.30-ish. Um, and so I was sending out some emails internally. I was sending, I was doing some work. I 100% did not expect anyone to respond to any of those. And while I was out doing my own thing, um, I didn't, I didn't expect to have to check my email, you know, every 10 seconds to make sure that everything was taken care of. So as long That's as great. I'm communicating that, then, you know, it's okay. Um, and it should be okay with everyone as long as we're keeping in communication and we have a level of trust with our team, which we do. In a perfect day, are you a, all right, I'm done. It's five. I worked for my, I got things I done, close the laptop. I'm done. I'm out. Is that a, is that your vibe? Uh, in, in a perfect day, it would be, yeah, it doesn't happen all that often, but that's okay too. Uh, cause sometimes it's a really nice day out and I want to go take the dog for a walk and then I'll, you know, work a little later. But, um, I do, I do like, you know, at least a couple times a week, I do like saying, okay, it's, you know, five or six or whatever, and I am done and I'm shutting everything down and I'm not thinking about it until tomorrow. Yep. No, that's great. Um, on the other end of the spectrum, when I see your email come through at eight o'clock at night, I'm like, "Oh, sweet, a work email! I can't wait to, I can't wait to respond. I love working." <laughs> uh, I'm the what you described. How you went and got the cabinets and came back. My perfect world is there's not a work day, there's not a personal day. It's just a day, and and I go through. And I think our environment allows both of us to have a version of that. But I don't think the entire workforce has that flexibility. Um, and I think this right to work conversation absolutely plays in and does have a place in this conversation because if you and i in the same company can be on you know have a spread um, and have differences i think outside of a company that's as i want to say as cool as ours is as forward thinking as ours uh, there's a bigger conversation yeah i mean definitely and i mean what we have is absolutely a luxury that not a lot of people have. And, you know, part of the legislation that's happened is because people are getting reprimanded and or fired if they're not responding to an email at, you know, nine o'clock on a Saturday night. Um, so there has, it seems like there are some companies that don't have the luxury we do and um, there needs to be protection in place so that people aren't having to feel like they have to be on all the time. All right. That was great. Megan, where can we find you out there on the social networks? You can find me on LinkedIn, uh, Megan Yunkin. Uh, you can find me on Twitter uh, at uh, MKY1979. And I regularly contribute to our People Element blog that you can find at peopleelement.com uh, slash blog. So that's where you that can find awesome. me. You can find me at Engagement HR or us at All About HR at All About HR Pod on Twitter. Megan, thank you so much. One of my favorite people in the world to speak with. Thank you, thank you, thank you. And all of you, thank you for listening. We'll be back. Until then, be safe, be intentional, keep learning all about HR.